I uh, echo your sentiment. This is uh, one of my favorite places to be. Thanks, guys, for leading us in worship this morning. If you're new here this morning, welcome. My name is Will. I am the uh, teaching pastor of our church, The Gathering Place. Uh, if you've missed the last couple of weeks or if you're visiting today, we're in the middle of a study of the book of First John. Um, and our, our goal in this study is to, to address the issues that are happening in the church, the reason that John is writing. But more than that, to look at this as kind of a road map. Uh, for us as believers as the church of what it means to walk in love and to walk in light and so today we're going to be looking at the third chapter of first john um, and and again our goal from this study is is to see these messages and to understand for for myself and for you what it means to live in truth right um, we're going to look at john chapter 14 kind of as we're introducing this this morning um, so look at that with me real quick john 14 we're going to get verses one through seven because if we're going to live in the truth, we need to understand what truth is. And as we've talked about before, in our culture and our society, that can be very subjective sometimes, or at least it's viewed that way. But let's look at Scripture and let's look at what Jesus has to say about this. In John chapter 14, verses 1 through 7, Jesus says this. And this is right as he's beginning to tell the disciples, or he's just told the disciples that he is leaving them to go to be with his Father. And he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and, and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way where I'm going. No, we don't know the way, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. And from now on, you do know him and have seen him. So this morning, we landed that last song. Um, and Kobe sang these, these words to us. We sang them together. And it says, Now all of my life I freely give. Because of your love I live. And so today we are going to look in this text at what it means to love one another, what it means to, to be children of light. That's where we left off in chapter 2 last week, this idea that, that we are the children of God. And so today we're going to focus in on that. Jesus shares this truth with his disciples, and he wants them to understand what it means to know him, to live in him by experience, as we allow the Holy Spirit to direct our lives, right? The disciples know him by experience, and because they have walked with him, they know him more intimately than anybody else around. And the same can be true for us if we will just simply live our lives before him and let him speak. John is using this imagery that we see in other places of the Bible about Jesus being light and Jesus being love. And today we're going to see John repeating those same ideas over and over. And in this short book, we see that how we the church are supposed to live because of who Jesus is because of who he is in our lives because of who we know him to be it informs us about how we are to freely give our, our lives because he lives because he died for us and was raised to life again so we need to understand and we know this we talk about this a lot that we are not talking about living in our own power right that we're going to, in order to walk in the light, to, to live in the light, to live in love, that our call is to rely on the Spirit, to rely on His power and not our own. Because the Spirit lives in us. And if, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but because the Spirit lives in us, we are the embodiment of Christ. Right? 
The Spirit lives in us, in our body, and, and we've talked about this before, we're going to touch on it again today, but, but Jesus Christ living in us is the way in which we are made known to the world. And being a tangible representation of Jesus is a huge responsibility, but it's also an incredible blessing. Because we get to know Him in a way that, that is outside of this world. Today we're going to dig into this idea of, of living for Jesus, living in Him. And my hope is that today we're going to see that we need to completely rely on the Holy Spirit to live the kind of life that God has called us to live. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit for our righteousness and the hope of doing anything that has any value or worth. And isn't that what we want? We want to look back on our life and go, my life had meaning. It had purpose. I accomplished good things. Well, the way that happens is through the power of the Holy Spirit, not our own power. Today we're going to look at four ideas that we see in this chapter. And we're going to make some application for, for our lives individually, but also as the church. Today we're going to see that John is going to discuss our identity as the children of God. He makes that very clear in the beginning of this chapter. We're going to see that there's a distinct difference between the children of God and the children of the world. And we're going to understand what that difference is. We're going to look at our love for one another and how it should follow the example that Christ gave us about how to love one another. And then lastly, we're going to look at how our response to, to the Holy Spirit reveals the nature of our own relationship with God. And that's a really good thing. So this morning, before we, before we begin, let's pray together and, and ask God to do something in our hearts today that we wouldn't just sit here and be in a room together, but that we would engage the Holy Spirit with our hearts, our minds, with our soul, and allow Him to work in us. So let's pray together. God, as we approach Your Word this morning, I ask that You would um, allow us to set aside any pride, any preconceptions of what we think these verses may say. God, we ask that You would, would through Your power, that You would open our hearts and our souls and our minds to receive a word from You. That God, that as You speak, we would allow that to not just be heard, but to be internalized, to be processed, and allow your spirit to work in and through us the things that you need for us to do and to be, so that we can be your people. God, give us the eyes to see you, and a desire to pursue you today as we read your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're going to start with 1 John chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 6. I'm excited about this today. We're going to work through the whole chapter, and, and the Lord's been really faithful this week to speak. So let's, let's hear from the Lord. It says, See how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children, and that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we're God's children because they don't know Him. Dear friends, we, already, we are already God's children, but He has not yet shown us what it will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like Him, for we will see Him as He really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure, just as He is pure. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in Him. Anyone who continues to live in Him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know Him or understand who He is. So point number one I want to make is that Jesus has given us a new identity as his children. And I know that we've, we've heard that before, right? Our identity when we become believers, our identity is that we are a child of God. I was thinking about this this week and I was reminded, I'm sure I was told about this before it happened, but when we adopted our children through the foster care system, when that process became official, we got new birth certificates for them. And they look just like the birth certificates that we have for our biological kids. 
And on the place where it says mother and father, it has my name and it has my wife's name. It doesn't have any record of anything prior to that happening. And that's significant because we understand that those are our children. God placed them in our lives. We love them. And there's no trace or record that there was anything happened prior to that. And in our lives, when we give our lives to Christ and we get this new identity, there is no trace or record of what we were before. That, that has gone away. We have become a new creation. When we hear the gospel, we have our hearts drawn by the Father, we decide that we need Him, we repent of our sins, and we ask Him to be our Lord, incredible things happen. We are, by faith in Jesus, adopted into His family, and the things of our past are gone away. They don't matter anymore. We are new. We are no longer slaves to sin, nor are we the person that we used to be. We are new creatures, we are born again, and we have a new identity, and the old man that we used to be no longer exists. The slate is clean. And we need to understand that, But because what the enemy tries to do is say, yes, you're a believer now, but you used to also be this, and he tries to drag us back into that and bring those feelings of guilt and shame. And we're going to see John address that directly in just a moment. But we need to understand that this reality because it informs us about who we are and it informs the way that we live with ourselves and with one another. And both John's argument in this book and our understanding of who we are in Christ rely on us understanding the truth about who we are. John is teaching the church that those that are trying to deceive them, what they're saying about Jesus not being the Messiah is not true. He's trying to help them understand that they, not only is Jesus the Messiah, but He is also their identity and he, they are His children. And because of their belief in Jesus, He calls us their own. He calls us our own, or His own. And He's made us heirs of the kingdom of heaven. And as heirs, we have all the rights. We have all the resources. All of that is, is part of ours because we are inheriting the kingdom that we live in, that we exist in. And that's a different reality than a lot of times what we think it is. Look, Scripture says in, John, in, this, in this book, it says we don't know what it's going to look like when Jesus comes. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know what it's going to feel like. But we do know that we're living in the kingdom now, right? Scripture's clear about that. And we should be living like we are part of that kingdom, like we are citizens of that kingdom and not just visitors, not just people that are passing through. And in order to do that, our priorities have to be kingdom-focused. Do you, do you hear me? Our priorities have to be kingdom-focused. Not focused on the things of this world, things that will perish and things that will go away, but things that are eternal and things that are lasting. If you've not considered this idea before today, it's going to be really important that you do. We're going to spend a lot of time this year talking about this very thing. It's going to be our major focus. And as we walk through this passage today... We need to understand that we cannot be members of the kingdom of God and have the priorities of other things in our life. That the kingdom of God, God himself must be our major priority. And we know this, but how we live life and what we make important is a big deal. The things that we place in the top tiers of our priority level have a significant impact on our lives. I was having a conversation with a co-worker just this week. One of his children has grown, married, has a child. Another is, is middle of high school and has gotten in some trouble at school. And he was in my office when his wife called. I got to hear the whole conversation. He was a little embarrassed and he rushed out. The next day he came in and he sat down in my office and we were talking about work-related things. 
But the Holy Spirit just kind of rotated the conversation wrapped around to his family. And as he, as he began to talk, he didn't owe me any explanations. But as we began to talk, he began to share with me some struggles that he's having. Now this is a guy that is on an equal level with me. We we're both managers. There's no need for him to share these things. But because of who Christ is and because of the love that, that Christ does in me to the people of our workplace he began to open up and share with me that there, he's made some mistakes in his life early on in his career his focus was 100% on his job and not on his family and now years later he's seeing the results of that and he was encouraging me to not make the same mistakes to put my priorities in the right perspective as an important of ideas this is we don't want our motivation to come from the wrong place. We want to be able to look back on our lives and say, what I did was important. The way I lived mattered to my children, to my spouse, to my God. But we don't need our motivation for that to be fear. Our motivation did not need to be that I'm, one day I'm going to be an old man, I'm going to look back and be really sorrowful about the way I chose to live life. Our motivation needs to be the fact that we're walking with God daily and obeying Him. That needs to be our motivation. And if that is what we're doing, we'll have nothing to look back on and regret. Because we've been in the Father's will the whole time as we were abiding in Him. Yesterday afternoon as I was at my office preparing for today, Steve, my boss, passed through and said, Hey, Will boy, that's what he calls me. And he does that just about every Saturday. A few minutes later, I went around to the kitchen to fix myself a cup of coffee. And Steve was in his office. His dad's not been feeling well recently. And so I've just been kind of checking up on him every day. I said, Steve, how's your dad? And he said, oh, he died last night. Just very flat, very plain. And at first it kind of took me back, right? That's not the response that I expected when your father dies. But I know Steve, and I know Mr. Ayers, and I understood after I thought about it for a moment that both of them are completely at peace. They're at peace because Mr. Ayers was a man that loved God, and he loved people. And so when his time came... Steve was telling me a couple of days ago that his dad had they had him on a lot of medication. He was in some pain, and he woke up about 1 o'clock during the day, and Steve was there with him, and, and Mr. Ayers kind of half opened his eyes, and he said, am I in heaven? And Steve said, no, nope, Dad, you're not in heaven. And he said, am I still alive? And Steve said, yeah, Dad, you're still alive. And he said, huh, what do you know? <laughs> I hope that when it, my time has come that that's the attitude I have. He was at peace because he knew his father. He was a man that loved God, and he was a man that loved people. I'll never forget when I first started working there, when I was in a management position, a different one than I am now, he came to me one day, and he got very serious. Mr. Ayers said, well, he said, while you're working here, there's going to come a time where someone is going to really need our help, and I want you to know you have my full permission to help them do whatever you need to do. I said, Mr. Ayers, is there any kind of parameters I need to put around that? He said, nope, when it's time, you'll know. And he was right. And that time came at some point. And because of who he is, and because of the man that he was, because of the way he loved people, he was able to help others in ways that are unexpected, in ways that the business world would say doesn't make sense. He was an incredible man. And you know, I never once had to ask myself or ask Mr. Ayers if he was a believer. There was no doubt in, in anyone's mind that he knew God. It was obvious because of the way he treated people. And the gospel just oozed out of him. I've been around a lot of businessmen in my life, and that's not always the norm, but it was for Mr. Ayers. Okay, and this leads me to my second point today. 
Number two is that there is a significant and noticeable difference between the children of God and the children of the world. Read with me in verses 7 through 10. John says, Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil, who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are the children of God. So now we can tell those, tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. The men that were trying to deceive the church were trying very hard to blur the line in the sand of who Jesus was and who God was. And John is clarifying that line in the sand. As we discussed two weeks ago, those that were causing this disruption in the church were calling their actions righteous. They were giving them, they were assigning God's name to what they were doing in hopes of supporting their cause. And John is saying that it's easy to tell when someone is telling the truth and when they are not. Last week we talked about the fact that because the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, we have the ability to discern people's actions because the Holy Spirit addresses it. And we talked about the difference between discernment and judgment, that it's not our opinion about what the person's doing, but it's about the truth that the Holy Spirit is revealing in our heart about the person's actions, about the things that are happening in our lives. John's making the case that we, need to, to, we don't need to try to be something that we're not. That if we will just be gods, the Holy Spirit will inform us about the things that are going on around us. And if we're being ourselves and we're being gods, we are the children of God. And that, <laughs> like a whole parade just went by. Bathroom break. John's making the case that we need to try to be, no, he's not trying to make the case that we need to, I'm messing that up. Let me start over, okay? The point John's making is that if we're the children of God, we can't sin. Because we're walking in the light. And when the Father is in us and we know there's no sin in Him, there will be no sin in us. John's making the case that if we're the children of God, we will, because of who we are in Christ, be righteous as Christ is righteous. It's God in us that makes us righteous and gives us a desire to be that way. It's not us. It's not our desire. It's not our power. All of it, just like we sang this morning, is relying on God. And if we're made in Christ's image and made righteous by relationship with Him, and we have a greater desire for Him than what we have for what the world offers, we will not be like the world. We will be different. Not because we're trying real hard, but because we are different. Because our identity informs us of who we are. And the nature of God, the Spirit of God in us, makes us different. John's telling the church that there's a vast difference between godliness and worldliness and that it's blatantly obvious which is which. You've probably had some opportunities in your life, some times in your life, where someone has tried to tell you something as God, and in your spirit you're like, mm, no. You might be calling this God, but that ain't what it is. And the cool thing is, is that the same Holy Spirit lives inside of all of us. And if we're all relying on the Holy Spirit, we're all going to come to the same conclusions. And so if someone comes in from the outside and says, what you're doing is not godly, but all of us in our spirit have been confirmed that this is what we're doing, then we know the truth. And it protects us. And that's what's happening in the church. 
Because of our identity and the Holy Spirit that lives in us, we can see um, who is a true believer and who's not. If we understand the power that we've been given to distinguish between the two, we do not need to live in fear of someone trying to dismantle what we have here. We'll be able to see it for what it is and respond accordingly. John is, is writing to this, this group of people as an encouragement. It'd be very easy to imagine that after having to deal with these men, that they would constantly wonder who else in their midst might be trying to just slowly change things, right? And John is telling them, you don't need to worry about that. If the Holy Spirit is in you, you're going to know. Don't be afraid. And this is going to free them up to be able to focus what's on what's important, which is God and one another. Point number three, we should love one another exactly as Jesus loves us. Because of that freedom, because we don't have to worry about those things in our lives trying to distract us, we can love God and love one another. And that's how we should live. Look at verse 11 through 16. This is the message that you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what is righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our brothers and sisters who are believers, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Look, loving people is not always easy, right? Sometimes in our lives we have people that are like-minded, that like the same things that we do, that operate the same way we do. And those people are easy because they're like us. But then there are times where God calls us to love people that are very much not like us. And sometimes that goes well and sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes we encounter people who want nothing to do with us. In fact, because of what they see happening in our lives, it causes them to be jealous of, of what God is doing in our lives. That's exactly what happens in the story with Cain and Abel. We don't need to be surprised by that. But we need to understand that it's not because of anything negative that we're doing. It's because God needs to do a work in their life. And we can pray for those people. When we're obeying God, experiencing His joy, and seeing fruit in our lives, it can cause others to resent us. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that before, but I certainly have. And it's not an easy thing, but it's part of life. What happens when that happens, all we can do is ask God to handle it and then do what He tells us to do and just rely on Him to fulfill the rest. It's a hard thing to go through, but we need to respond in love. Loving one another is not a new concept for us. We talk about that a lot. But John explains this concept in a very clear way so that we can more fully understand what it means to, to love as Jesus loved and so, in order for us to understand that today, I want to focus in on a key word in this particular section towards the end of it. He says, and, and this command to love is not a new command. He says that, we've talked about it, and in fact, we talk about it a lot. But there's a word in verse 16 that really spells out for us what it means. I think that when we, when we hear the phrase, love one another, we go, yeah, we're going to do that. And we just quickly agree to it. And I think that we have good intentions of following through. But however, I think that sometimes our good intentions or even an incomplete idea of what it means to love one another the way Jesus is describing it 
sets us up for failure. What we may, what we may mean is, is I, yeah, I love one another when it's easy, when it's convenient, when I don't have anything else to do. That's not what John is talking about. It's not what Jesus is talking about. I don't mean for that to sound harsh, but, and, and we would never say that out loud, right? We would never say, man, I really love you when it's easy, right? Like, that's not a thing that we would say out loud, but I think it happens in our minds. I think that we, we sometimes assign value to people based on our opinions, our judgments, and that's not a good thing. I know that this happens because I've heard it from myself. I've heard it in my own head. And if it's happened with me, I know it's happened with you. Not necessarily in those words, but our actions speak much louder often than our words do. Our actions will tell things that our mouths will not. When we consistently put our own desires ahead of our friends, our loved ones, our community, that's what we're saying. We're saying that I will love you if. And that's not what love is. Look at verse 16 again. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. When I read this verse, I have to ask myself, what does this look like for me? What does this mean for my life? As your pastor, when I read this, I have to ask, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for our church? The word I'm looking at here is this word life. What did Jesus give up? What is he talking about? If we look at how this word is used in the rest of the Bible, we see three things that it refers to. Number one, our inner part that thinks, that feels, that wills and desires. It's commonly translated, this word is, with all your heart. In other words, what he's communicating here is a complete devotion of energy and sincerity. In some places it, it can express the idea of the whole person. And it's used in conjunction with other words that describe the total human personality. Or the giving of all that you are. And sometimes it refers just to the physical life in general. So what is John communicating? He's communicating that Jesus gave up everything. His life, his personality, his desires, his feels, his, the things that he was thinking about. If we look at this passage with these ideas in mind, we see that Jesus didn't give up just a part of who he was to love others. He gave up all of who he was for others. You see, I don't know about you, but for me, when I would look at passages like this and say, give up our lives for one another, I think, yeah, I might take a bullet for somebody one day. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Yeah, that might happen. But he's talking about giving up all of who we are in order to love one another. John is telling us that we know real love because Jesus loved us by giving all of himself to us. And so as a result of knowing Jesus, as we discussed in our last point, it's our new nature to love our brothers and sisters just like Christ does. Not to love them as the world loves them. The world loves, air quotes, when it's beneficial, when it's easy, when it's Facebookable. That's a word, I just said it was. We love people when it's easy. The world gives up when things get hard or inconvenient. If we're to take Jesus' lead, we need to love others with everything that's within us. Jesus didn't hold anything back. He devoted his life to other people. 
We see it in every interaction, every conversation. And even when he went alone to pray, it was for the purpose of being in communion with the Father so he could what? So he could love us. So he could be the man that God had sent him to be. Do you see how high the bar is being set? Do you feel that? Do you realize how unattainable it is for us to try to accomplish that in our own power? We cannot do it. We have to rely on the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. We don't have an option. If we're going to be the church, if we're going to claim the name of Jesus, if we're going to walk in the light, if we're going to walk in love, if we're going to live in truth, we are being made like Jesus. Which means what is going to happen, what God wants to happen is that we get to a place where we give up everything we have personally in order to love one another. Remember the two commandments. Love God, love one another. Jesus said those are the most important things. The good news is is that God is the one that's going to do all the work to get us to that point, not us. But that only happens if we let Him do it. You see, we have the option of saying no. Last week, when I talked about the level of love that I feel for all you, this is the foundation of that love. It's not because I'm a great guy. It's because Christ is doing something in me. I didn't always feel this strongly about all of you. I mean, yes, I loved you. I liked you. We were friends. But over the last year, God has changed my heart. And there's a level of love that I didn't have before. God wants to do the same thing in each of you. For the people in your life group. For the people that you work with. For the people of this church. God wants us to grow. He wants us to know Him. He wants us to be drawn to Him. And as that happens, there's going to be a change in our hearts. And we're going to begin to love people in a way that we didn't know was possible. And it's not because we are any better at doing anything. It's because the Holy Spirit is doing something inside of us. When we talk about blessing, when we talk about committing to community, all of that is built upon this foundation. That Christ is changing us. He's changing our hearts and causing us to love one another at a deeper level. If we're feeling those desires to live for one another at a different level than this, if it's if you're saying, well, that's super deep and I'm like way shallower than that, it's okay. Not all of us are in the same place at the same time. Be aware of where you are. Ask God this week to reveal where you are in this. Are you loving people like Jesus did? And if not, ask the Holy Spirit to make the changes in your heart that are necessary so that you can be more like Jesus. The fact that that we're even talking about this, if you are aware of your need of improvement, is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? To look at your life, to take a step back and go, okay, God, what are some things that I need to change about who I am so that I can be more like you is the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's how a relationship with God works. It's not one and done, okay, God, I checked my thing off for this week. See you next week. It's a daily, moment-by-moment relying on Him and allowing Him to make the changes in us so that we can be like He is. And why do we want to be like Jesus is? Because He's God. He's the example. Point number four I want to make today. Our response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit confirms the true nature of our relationship with God. Our response to the prompting of the Holy Spirit confirms the true nature of our relationship with God. Last couple of verses, 18 through 24. 
Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. Dear friends, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we will receive from Him whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. And this is His commandment. We must believe in the name of, the, of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as He has commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with Him and He with them. And we know He lives in us because the Spirit He gave us lives in us. But John is, is saying this cannot just be a thing that we talk about. We can't just say we love people and then continue to live lives for ourselves. If we do, we're living a lie. If we say that we love people, but we put ourselves in a place of priority over everyone else, over everything else, we're living a lie. Scripture is clear. If we truly love God and we love one another, it will be shown by our actions and our words. The relationships that we have and how we handle them are going to be the proof to one another and to the world that we are the children of God. That's how they will know us Bethany, I was telling her about my sermon last night and she started singing the hymn, They'll Know We Are Christians By Our Love. Y'all know that one? That's truth. That's how it happens. People know who we are by the way that we act, by the way that we love one another. If we truly love God and we truly love one another, we're going to show it by the way we live. This is a lifelong process. Going deeper in our relationship with God is not something that happens overnight. It's something that happens every day as we pursue Him. Asking God to reveal Himself and His ways and then doing the things that He calls us to do. If we live life this way, we're going to be made one with Christ. And our desires have been transformed into, into His desires. In verse 21 and 22, John says that we don't need to feel guilty. We need to recognize the identity that we've been given as, as children of God and allow God to work in us. And as we allow that to happen, we can ask for anything we want and He will do it. Now that's a bold statement, isn't it? But it's truth. If, if Think about this. We've talked about it before. If we are abiding, if we are moment by moment pursuing the Lord, asking Him how He wants to live our lives, and we're being made in His likeness, we're being made like Jesus, the things that we want are the things that He wants. And why would He not do what He wants to do? course he will so when we ask for things we're not asking out of selfish motivation we are asking because it's something that God has prompted us to ask for and then he's going to do it and then we get to stand back and go look how incredible God is look at what's going on around us John's purpose in writing all this is to show the church that if they need proof that Jesus is God's son all they have to do is look around the Holy Spirit is coming. He's living inside of them. And that's all the proof that they need. They need to just look at how they're loving one another. The way in which believers live and love is all the proof that anyone needs that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Son of God, and that the Spirit lives in us. And as we've talked about so many times before, we've referenced this verse so much, this is God's master plan for making Himself known. Colossians 1, 27-29. For God wanted them to know the riches of and the glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. 
This gives you assurance of sharing His glory. So we tell others about Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that God has given us. We want to present them to God perfect in their relationships to Christ. That's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. It's Christ in us that is doing all of this. And because He's in us, it gives us confidence to share with the world. The ESV says that Christ in us, in the same passage, it says Christ in us is the hope of glory. That His purpose in all of this is that we would come to know Him. He's chosen to reveal Himself through His people. And this is how it happens. He's revealed as God of love by His people loving one another as only He can. When we love one another in a supernatural way, it's obvious to people that it's not us. Because it's not worldly. It's not of this world. It's going to be hard. We should expect it to be living life self... I'm going to always mess this word up. Selflessly. It's difficult. Thank you. I've been working really hard on that all week. I want to end with this today. I want to end with where we began in chapter 14 of the book of John. This is the, the second half of that section. And this is right before chapter 15, which we've studied a lot here. 14 verses 8 through 14. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, I have been with you all this time, Philip, and you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Don't you believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me and does his work through me. Just believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe because of the work you have seen me do. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. And even greater works because I am going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. You ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And we started two years ago with the same passage where we see Thomas saying, Lord, just show us the Father and it'll be enough. And we spent a year walking through the Gospels learning about who the person of Jesus is through the interactions that he has with the people. And Jesus says, Thomas, I've been with you all this time and you don't know me? I don't want our response to be like Thomas's. Listen, we have seen the Father. We have seen Him working. We know when He speaks. We believe that He's, that he's the Son of God and that His power can, can fulfill the commission that He's given us. It's, it's time for us to stop just playing church. It's time for us to love one another in a way that the world sees and goes, something is happening there. And it's not us that gets the credit. They see it for what it is. They say God is doing a movement in those people. John is telling this church, look, you're going through a hard time right now. You've got some people who are trying to mess things up. But don't worry about that. You focus on me and that will be enough. I will prove who I am by the way that you love one another. So at the end of the day, we look at chapter 3, and we say, what is John trying to communicate here? He's trying to communicate that we are children of God. We've been given that identity, and we need to walk in it. We need to live in that. We need to allow Christ to teach us to love one another 
the way that He loves. Let's pray together. God, I ask that You would, this week, that You would just open our hearts to see the areas of our lives where we need to just release ourselves to You. God, show us the people around us who desperately need to know and experience Your love. Give us the words to say, give us the actions to do, the things that need to happen so that they can know You. Father, help us to, to realize who we are. Help us to internalize the fact that we are Your children. That we are heirs in Your kingdom. That all that You have has been made available to us because of Your love for us. And help us to share that love with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.